You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. We are here to celebrate not ourselves, but the very faithfulness of God to build his church here, the church that is a part of Christ's global church, the church that he said he would build and the gates of hell shall not overcome. That is a promise. As we celebrate five years together under God's guide, uh, faithful guidance here this morning, friends, five years is a big deal. Five years is a milestone that as we look around this room and remember uh, what he has done and what he is doing, we can say yes and amen, God. Only you, God, could do this. Only you can transform hearts. Only you can build your church. So friends, it was around six years ago that a small group of believers started gathering Yeah, in our living room, not the bedroom like Josh was saying, in the living room, <laughs> a small group of, of our family with about 15 others who began to gather together, to pray together, to study God's word together, to seek the Lord together, to seek his will and to seek his way and his plans for what would one day become Redemption Church as we know it today. And as that small group became a core group, and that, as that core group also grew and became the church, friends, all I can say as I sit back and, and wonder at it all is just, it's just, a, it's just a marveling of God's grace. And that we ought to be just so grateful and so amazed at his goodness and his greatness of, of God and for what only he can do. That even though along the way it hasn't been easy, even amidst the joy that it has been, there's also been seasons that are trying for sure. All along the way, the Lord knew, though, exactly what he was doing, and he was building exactly what he deemed fit. And it happened in his timing and in, in his way, and he continues to do that. And so as I look out in you all here this morning, and I see your presence, and I also see your faithfulness week in and week out, I can say what Paul does, as he does in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. And that's exactly where we're going today uh, in the Bible. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 4 to 9 here this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we have plenty in the back. Just put your hand up. We'd love to bring you one. If you don't have a Bible at home, keep that as our gift to you. We want God's powerful, life-changing word in your hand and in your heart. I give thanks to my God always. Paul says this just after his greeting and his introduction of this letter to the Corinthian church. And he front loads this letter to them with genuine gratitude towards them. Gratitude, as we can see, for the grace of God at work amongst them. Gratitude for Christ who is in them. I give thanks to my God always, he says, that as Paul goes before the Lord in faithful, fervent prayer, the church he knows 
and the church he loves is the object of not just an occasional prayer, not just sporadic prayer, but an ongoing, always kind of prayer. He's giving thank, thanks how? He's, he's giving thanks always. Friends, as Paul was so thankful for the Corinthian church, even though as you read on though, you know that the Corinthian church uh, has a lot of work left to be done in them, he is no less thankful for them. He is thankful for God's grace at work through Christ in them. And I'll just say, upon my own reflection over the past five years, on behalf of our elders as well, Tim and, Tim and Aaron, that as we aim to care for you, we know that prayer is crucial to that care. We want you to know that we regularly pray together on a weekly basis for you, praying for your hearts, praying for your needs, praying for your faith. And we do it with ourselves with a spirit of thankfulness. Again, thankful for you, but thankful for God's grace and thankful for Christ that is in you. And that as Jesus Christ is the shepherd of his church, we get the privilege to shepherd under him and to care and to love and to lead Christ's flock here at redemption. The one who himself modeled perfect love, the one who had perfect compassion upon the crowds as he so willingly gave himself away for his bride, for his church, and how he just so graciously continues to love and bless and work within his church and how it all happens is always by his grace. And so friends, again, as I look out unto you, I agree with Paul that I am so thankful I am so grateful for you because I can see the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. You know, when, when Kim and I and our boys left our old lives to follow Christ on the journey that he had set out for us some 12 or so years ago, we left our hometown, we left our families, we left all that we knew, and we can say, as much as we were convinced by the Lord that his calling was upon our life for ministry of some sort, it was a scary thing to do. We left comfort, we left security, we left everybody that we knew in the world to come to the Calgary area where we really knew no one to pursue a life of ministry. And as we arrived here those years ago, as we came from you know, a small town, where it seemed like you knew everybody. Once we arrived here, it was such a, a great big city and area. Again, we felt this. Just, we, we just don't know anybody here. And we weren't known by anyone. We soon connected with uh, the church in the north. At that time, Harvest Bible Chapel, but now Redemption North. And we soon found our family, our church family up there. And then also from that, as, as the Lord took us to the United States to take training, as we went to Louisville, Kentucky, and then, and then back to Calgary, and then back to Chicago for more training, and then back to Calgary again, all along that frenzy and that training and moving and traveling and seeking the Lord, we knew that the Lord was preparing a people for us, a people that we could belong to, a people that we could worship with and love and so it became so much clearer as the elders from our North Church then sent us out to start and plant Redemption Church, Calgary South. And so as I think about that and I look at this room and knowing that 
We knew nobody at that time. Actually, I've got a picture here for you I want to put up. Okay, that's a picture of our living room when we came back from Chicago. And if you were in the small group, which then became the core group, you'd remember that space that uh, our boys and, and us would empty out the room, take out the, everything, take out the couches, and prepare again for a core group meeting. And we would also have information nights to share the vision of what this church would be. And I just remember praying in that room and praying for people. Praying that the Lord would bring them. Because it's, it's only going to happen if, if he does it. And it's all by his grace. That as he builds his church, he's building a family and he's building Redemption Church Calgary South. Friends, it's all by his grace. And that is such abundant grace. And so as we are going to look at this text here this morning, I just want to read verses 4 to 9 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. Again, where Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, and as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as those who you have called out of darkness, those who you have brought into your marvelous light, into the light of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the light who came to take away the sins of the world, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And Lord, as we just witnessed today, as we witness your gospel on display, we remember that our God is not dead. Our Christ is not dead. He is alive. And as he rose from the grave, we have risen from the grave in him. And in that you have also filled us by your Holy Spirit so that we can gather together as one body with one king. And we're here to worship your name. Be with us as we continue to walk through the scriptures here. Speak to us by your word. Uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would drive it deep into our hearts and produce continual transforming change. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we are to thank, like Paul does, to thank God for his grace, for the work of Christ, as he is thanking in the Corinthian church, as we're looking at these next four verses, I, wanna, I, wanna see, I want you to see evidences of grace in this text. As Paul is revealing evidences of grace in the church, we as well need to be seeing that Christ is definitely working within us, that there is evidence of his grace, that as we live amongst the church and we are the church, as we love each other and live actually for each other horizontally, we also have this vertical life in Christ that is, that is about loving God as we're learning in the book of 1 John already. And that as Paul here is addressing the, the Corinthian church about the road ahead, a road where there is much more work left to be done in that church, and as it's, we can confess ourselves, there is much more work to be done in us, uh, he can thank God's grace. And so we're going to look at four evidences here of God's grace that is working here in Redemption Church. And the first one is, is that there is a deepening conviction for his word. There is a deepening conviction for his word. 
As Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. He says that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Friends, the first evidence that Paul gives that Christ is truly at work in the church is the fact that there is a deepening conviction for God's word as revealed in their, in their speech and in their knowledge. He says in every way... They were enriched in him. This every way that they were enriched by God was revealed by how they were responding to God's grace in all speech and all knowledge. The word speech here comes from the word logos, which means word, or it means message. And then the word knowledge from the Greek word gnosis, meaning to know or to have knowledge. So logos and gnosis, both word and knowledge. Now, if you know anything about the background of this letter, you know that the Corinthian culture at that time really treasured rhetoric. They really loved the public debate. And in that, they really loved eloquence of the uh, oratory craft, that in the public square, there was a a love of speech, there was a love of debate, uh, there was a love and an ambition of fine-tuning one's ability to articulate philosophies and, and arguments and positions on any kind of given subject. And as the new Christians of the Corinthian church carried some of that culture into the church, what was a worldly love amongst, uh, amongst the people was also becoming a bit of a problem in the church. It was a love within the church but yet, as Paul is talking about, as he goes on in the rest of the letter, this is, a, this is a passion that needed to be refined for the glory of God. And so as Paul is gonna, would later address this letter and some of the challenges that this church was facing in that area, before all of that, he starts out by acknowledging the grace of God that is at work as it is evidenced by how God is changing their speech and God is changing their knowledge. You see, as much as a love for speech or rhetoric may even sound like a, like a positive thing, the problem that the church was facing was that their former love for this thing was based more on the delivery rather than the message. When it came to the preaching, they were more focused on the eloquence rather than the content. And that's why Paul is saying here in verse uh, or, or he says in verse 18 to 20 of, of 1 Corinthians, he says, for the word, right, the logos, the message, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. And then he says in verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And then he goes on to explain in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, he says, and when I came to you, brothers, he's talking about the church, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There's so much in there for us to 
to, to focus on. We're not going to go there yet, but just as you are just thinking about church, it's not about a man. It's not about the eloquence. It is about the power of God. And so what Paul is highlighting in our text today, that in every way the Corinthians were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, friends, he's seeing that the old passion of eloquence is being replaced by the new passion of truth. The passion of knowing Christ crucified, the redeemed passion of the word and knowledge now squarely focused on the power of God. And all of that comes through the the logos, the word of the cross. So friends, what we're seeing is they were having a deepening conviction of the word of God, of, of the gospel, and it was coming out and it was showing up in how they now spoke and how they now presented their knowledge and how they understood that it was the true word of the gospel. Brothers and sisters here this morning, as we've been walking together for five years, some of us longer than that for sure, but from my vantage point and by my observation, what I see in you is that there is also a deepening conviction of the word of God. And that in that, you also have a deepening conviction about the gospel. That as you have been following Christ here, as you have been going to the word yourself and sitting under the word of God and going to small group, participating in small group and regroup, that application and accountability of the word of God, as you yourself have been reading and studying the truth and the content of the word of God, friends, the Lord is transforming how you approach word and knowledge, speech and knowledge. That the Lord is transforming how you think that the Lord is transforming how you speak. That the speech and knowledge that Paul is talking about, this logos and gnosis, is is actually beginning to change within you. Friends, the power of God's truth and his gospel really does change the way we think. It really does change the way that we, we then speak. Right, for example, at one time, maybe it was quite normal for you to think and speak like the world around you. But now you notice that your, your, your thoughts are changing. You're starting to think how the Bible thinks. And when you think how the Bible thinks, you're thinking how God thinks. And then you're also seeing in that, that as your mind is being renewed, it's also changing how you, how you speak and how you act from within. It's kind of like, you know, when you come to faith and, and you're born again, we have to remember that when you were a new Christian, you, you are a, a baby Christian and that you have to grow. And in that growing, we, we get to join Christ within our salvation, our sanctification part. And we get to grow and mature and be uh, more and more like him and think more and more like him and have our knowledge changed. That's the power of the word of God by his spirit. As Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, he said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, spoken and thought. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Friends, this is the the word and the work of God amongst us by his spirit. And friends, it is encouraging to see it. It's encouraging to see that we are growing up that our speech and our knowledge is maturing. I mean, just think about it yourself. Think about how you used to think about certain challenges that you may have been facing in this life. Think about how you used to view the world around you. 
Think about how you used to view your own life. We even heard that in Eric's testimony, being, being worried about tomorrow. But the Lord is the one who cares for tomorrow, right? Think about how you used to uh, think about all kinds of other things in your life, the things that would bring you joy and comfort and peace, and how that has changed and how that is found only in Jesus Christ. As you are changing, friends, that is God by his grace doing that in you. That's God by his truth and by his spirit. That is by his grace. And friends, it, it is growing amongst us and it's growing in every way. When Paul uses the language of enriching here, he's talking about a growing wealth of new knowledge and new speech. The train said, amen. <laughs> and friends, as we, as we round this five-year mark today, I see that in you, I see this happening. And so this is a time of encouragement. It's a time of us to celebrate what the Lord is doing. You know, as we've been walking through the book of 1 John, there's been moments of just encouragement as we're analyzing our lives in light of the word of God. But this is a time for us to just look back and just see what he has done and how that even produces just more faith for what's ahead. And then he goes on in chapter 6, he says, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Friends, there's a second evidence of God's grace right there. And the evidence is that there is a confirming testimony of his gospel amongst us. Friends, as the gospel is the power of salvation for those who believe, the gospel is also the power of transformation for those who believe. That the gospel truly transforms. And the testimony of that is the evidence of the power of Christ changing how we live, changing our hearts. That there's evidence in our lives that the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually true. As Paul uses the word testimony here, this is the Greek word martyrion. This is the, Greek, this is the word where we get the word witness from. And this, is the, this is the Greek word where we get the word martyr. For those who would die for the faith, for confessing Jesus Christ, we call them martyrs. What martyr means is that they are true witnesses. They truly believe. It's the testimony of one who would rather die than deny Jesus Christ. And so as our lives are a living testimony of the truth of Christ, how we live, especially as we've been learning in the book of 1 John, is either going to confirm or deny the truth and the power of the gospel in this world. And so we ask ourselves in that, Again, what is my life saying? What is my life proclaiming? Is it lining up with what I say I believe? Or is it denying what I say I believe? Now, although as you study the letter of uh, Corinthians here, you'll discover that there are some in the church whose lives are not conforming to the truth of the gospel, that there is immorality in the church, there is confusion in the church, there is a lack of love amongst them. But what Paul is telling the church overall right here at the very start of this letter is that overall there is a testimony about Christ that is alive in their church and that it is being confirmed amongst them. That it's not just about what they might say or what they might proclaim, but there is an, ab an absolute confirming testimony amongst them that Jesus Christ is actually true. So friends, just as we have been learning lately that, it, lately, that it's not just about the word, but also deed. When we see that the witness of the church 
is not undermining the gospel, but is rather testifying to the power and the truth of the gospel. Friends, this is evidence that God's grace is at work. I mean, just think about how your life has changed. Even think over the the life of this church and think about how your commitment to the Lord and, and how your devotion to the Lord has changed as you have been amongst us here in redemption. Think about how the word is not only changing the way you think and speak, but how it's also changing your heart and how it's changing your witness in this world. Think about how in your home, in your marriage, and in your family, how the Lord is transforming your heart and he's transforming your actions. I mean, just think about Eric and Dimitri's baptisms here this morning, how they both confess and testify to God's power to change them. For Eric, it was a, it was a, di- a desire for change in, in, in some of his vices. Right? He's talking about how alcohol was a problem or, or cigarettes was something that was, that was not a good thing in his life. Again, he, he, would, he would confess that these were sinful areas. But now how Christ has come to save him and his desires are beginning to change. He's beginning to love Christ more, more than the world. Think about in Dimitri's testimony how he testifies how God is changing his pride and changing his anger and how there has been a fruit of this change as his respect and his obedience is growing towards his parents. Friends, when the gospel is truly at work, it truly transforms us, transforms our desires, transforms our actions. Just as Paul says about the the new life in Ephesians 4. I love Ephesians 4 and the picture of how a life is absolutely transformed. Ephesians 4, 28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Transformation for the thief is not just that he stops stealing, but that he starts working honestly. And then with that, Rather than taking from people, he is giving to anyone in need. Friends, that is the power of the gospel at work. It radically transforms the way we live. To the point that the world cannot help but see it. And what it does is ultimately confirm the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so friends, again, as we have been walking together for five years or more, I I see, again, this taking place in this this church. I see you changing. I see you changing the way that you are approaching the things that would normally tear you down. I see you changing how you, you treat each other. I see how it changes how you approach the world around you. I see how you used to run to to certain sins to try to find comfort and affirmation and fulfillment in this world, but then now, how you're running to Jesus Christ to find true and lasting joy and peace and contentment that can only be found in him? Friends, although we can all agree that there's work left to be done, just as it was in the Corinthian church, all praise to be God. His grace is at work We are in Christ, and he is changing us. Now, maybe you're not seeing it in yourself. Maybe we, like ants on the back of an elephant, all we can see is what's right in front of you. We're not pulling back. We're not seeing the bigger picture. Maybe you're lost in the micro of things, but you need to pull back to the macro. You you need to see that as you're actually looking at your life, pulled back over the past years, 
Even though you may be feeling like you're not changing at moments, pull back and see that the direction of your life is is moving in an upward trend of holiness. That there is a trajectory towards the Lord himself. That there is truly less of you and more of Christ. And friends, when you need that, you need to celebrate that. We need to celebrate the grace of Christ in that. Like I used to sing in Sunday school. Maybe you sang this old song in Sunday school and the words go, he's changing me. My blessed Savior. Right? I'm not the same person that I used to be. Sometimes it's slow going, but there's a knowing that someday, perfect, I shall be. When Christ comes back, when we're raised from the grave, physically, perfect, one day we will be in Christ Jesus. And so today, as we celebrate five years as a church, let us celebrate those stories. Let us celebrate those things that that is the power that only God can do. Now, as these first two evidences are very kind of introspective, you know, of our knowledge, of our own speech and witness, the third evidence that we see here, this third evidence of grace in verse 7, comes down to a flourishing engagement of his gifts. A flourishing engagement of his gifts. As as Paul says, even as, as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, he shares the result of the true gospel at work. He says, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that you're not lacking in any gift. The word gift here comes from the Greek word charismati, charisma. Not gift in the sense of some kind of just natural gift, but supernatural gifts, spiritual gifts. That as the true gospel is truly evidenced, that spiritual gifting from Jesus for his church is not something that he is hoarding away. It's not something that he is hiding from us. No, as Paul says that you are not lacking, he's talking about an overwhelming abundance of his spiritual gifts that comes with your salvation and that God is the one that's not lacking, that this is available, it is full, it has been given to be used. Just as Romans 12, 6 says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, he says, let us use them. Let us use them. Friends, again, as Paul is writing to a church, that if you've read this book yourself, you know that there is some confusion and there is some challenges around the spiritual gifts. He no less tells them that there is an abundance of gifts at their disposal. Right? Not gifts that are meant to puff them up in pride. Not gifts that are given for distraction. Not gifts that are meant to uh, raise this one person up as somebody very uh, spiritually able. But gifts that are from the Spirit. Gifts that are mobilized by the Spirit. Gifts given to help us to join God in his spiritual work in and through the church. Spiritual gifts that are imparted to each according to the grace that is given us. Gifts to serve the church. Gifts that are given to glorify the Lord. And friends, as this spiritual gifts topic can also be somewhat challenging or or skewed by uh, maybe particular background or understanding or, or church background, whatever it may be, 
What Paul is just stating so clearly here is that there is just no lack. There is no lack on God's part to supply. That at this time, within the the Corinthian church, they they, they had some confusion of, of how these gifts were to roll out. We as a church understand that as all of this taking place during the apostolic era, that as 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about spiritual gifts, verses 7 to 11 outlines what they are. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then Paul goes on to outline that the spiritual gifts come down to words of wisdom, words of knowledge, the gift of faith, And then we have these apostolic confirming gifts at that time of of healing and miracles and prophecy, discernment and tongues and interpretation of tongues, given given gifts that were meant at that time that were active during the apostolic era to confirm the work of the apostles, to confirm that they are the ones who are, are writing the testimony, the New Testament you have in your hands. The church had an abundant disposal. As verse 11 would go on to say, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Again, it's all about the abundance of God's grace. Gifts that then if you were to go to Romans 12 also highlights in Romans 12, 6 to 8 that we are having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, without going on a tangent under the differences between uh, the temporary sign gifts at that time and then the continual uh, spiritual gifts Uh, that are still available today. That's for another day. That's a huge topic. But what Paul is highlighting here is that there is no lack in God's supply. And that the gifts that he has given are at the church's abundant disposal. Especially, as he says here, the church is anticipating Christ's imminent return. As he says, he says, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This means that in the waiting of Christ's return, that is very soon, that the church is not to be passive in the waiting, but active in the waiting. That the closer that he is coming, the more that we engage the spiritual gifts that are abundantly at our disposal. And so we ask ourselves, as we understand what gifts are available today, we ask about the gift to speak wisdom from God's word to someone else to speak the knowledge of God's word. Friends, as the Bible is to be spiritually discerned, we can grow by the spirit to better understand the wisdom and the truth of scripture and be skilled in relaying that to the world and to those around us. How about when it comes to our faith? As we know from Ephesians 2 that that faith is a gift by God's grace. Faith is a gift by the Holy Spirit. And so is our faith growing? And is that faith then also being passed down to the next generations as we teach each other, as we teach our children? How about the gifts of spiritual service? Did you know that there is a gift of really 
uh, uh, there's a gift of just serving one another. That is, a, that is a spiritually wrought gift that is given by God. How about in your teaching? That is, we're called to relay the truth of God that there are those who are specially equipped by God to teach and exhort and, and preach. And that also, teaching is also available to those in classrooms, those in youth groups and, and small groups and our plus 50 women's group or in your home with your own kids, teaching and exhorting. How about the gift of contributing? As Roman 12 highlights, that even though we're all called to give and contribute, there are those who are truly gifted by the Spirit to give more in generosity, as it says in Romans 12.8. I don't think we often think about that as a spiritual gift, but it is. How about leading with zeal? How about those acts of mercy? How about the cheerfulness that goes along with all of that? Friends, as full as that list is, or even how misunderstood it can be at times, what Paul is showing the church here is that there just is no lack by God's grace in the equipping of the saints with spiritual gifts used to serve God and serve his body. His body. And friends, as I think about this list, list here, my encouragement to you on our church's anniversary today is that I see you engaging the spiritual gifts of God. I see it in how you serve the church. As we have counted over, there's 55 people who actively serve this church on, on different teams of ministries and service here. We see the, the spiritual gift of service at work. We see it in your generosity of your, your giving. Over the past year, how we have asked you to give above and beyond it to help and serve a, a Ukrainian family and how you, you just gave abundantly. You gave cheerfully towards that, and you continue to do that. I see it in how you are teaching your children. It's great to be in some of uh, the parents' homes here and just see how they are diligent to, to share the word of God with their children. The Spirit is at work in that. I see it in, in leading of our small groups, uh, the cheerful acts of mercy. Friends, all of these things we are, we are seeing, and, and as the revealing of Jesus Christ is, is yet to come, we are to lean all the more into the strength and the gifting of the Spirit as we continue forward in this day is for a church. And so we thank you. We thank you for believing, trusting, and following the Lord in that. Friends, God is at work. That by his spiritual gifts, by his grace, he is at work. So again, as we celebrate today, be encouraged, be, be bolstered in your faith that God is actually working in and through us and that as he said, he will never leave us nor forsake us that Jesus will be with us even to the end of the age and that he indwells us and empowers us by his Holy Spirit and gifts us to do the work of God right here. And so Paul thanks God always for the church because of the grace of God given in Christ to us. And then he concludes this introductory prayer with the fourth evidence of grace that should truly encourage us for the days ahead, which is this evidence of a sustaining hope in his faithfulness, a sustaining hope in his faithfulness. The revealing of Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, the God who saves is the God who sanctifies. 
And he is the God who also sustains us to the end. As Paul is about to, from here on out in this letter, engage some serious challenges amongst the Corinthian church, he wants them to know that it's not the church in and of itself that is going to sustain itself, but it is Jesus Christ who sustains the church until the end. And so friends, I just want you to know how good this counsel has been for my own soul especially as a leader, especially as a pastor, especially as the planting pastor here, that as much as my, my fingerprints are all over things, it's not about me. It's not about me at all. That as much as I have had to continually remind myself through all of the ups and downs that it is Christ who is the one who is building his church, He has promised that the gates of hell shall not prevail over it or against it. And it's also Christ who is the the one who will sustain it until the end. And friends, only he can do it. That is a God thing. That is not a man thing. He will sustain us to the end, whatever that looks like. That he is sovereign, and he is sovereign over his church. He is sovereign over the word. He is sovereign over the preservation of his people. That as Paul says, he will sustain us. He will sustain us, he says, until the end, which is a guiltless, we will be guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, the only way you can make it to the end and, and arrive in the eternal presence of God is by having your spiritual slate wiped clean. That as Romans 2.5 says about our hearts, that because of our hard and impenitent hearts, we were storing up wrath for ourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Friends, for the Christian, because of Christ and Christ alone, that's not the reality that we face anymore. Now, as we were once waiting for the judgment to be revealed, we now wait for Christ to be revealed. And friends, like I said, the only way that you can stand in the presence of the Lord is to have your spiritual slate completely wiped clean, meaning that the judgment that you and I deserved, the eternal sentence that we were guilty of, we now, in Christ, are no longer guilty anymore. Right? Not because we have earned a non-guilty status or position, but that Christ earned the not guilty status for us. That it was him and it was him alone who was perfectly righteous for us and it was him that could only die the death that we deserve and rise from the grave. And that upon that cross where we deserved wrath and judgment, the wrath and judgment was put upon him. And his righteousness, his guiltlessness, his his non-guilty status is then declared to us. And friends, if you have that position before God, that is something that can never be taken away. When God the Father now looks on you, he sees Christ's righteousness upon you. And he has declared you not guilty forever. What a Lord. What a God. What a Savior. This is that sustaining position 
that we have before God as the church, we are not guilty. We are justified and we are kept forever. And friends, that should produce nothing but a great rejoicing hope. That, be, that should be the greatest song in your heart. What a sustaining hope it is. And what faithfulness. Which is how Paul concludes this section by saying, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, as you still look into that mirror of God's word and you can clearly see that that faithfulness is a challenge for sinners like you and me, that faithfulness is a a challenge for, for, for those who are saved even, we can have such hope to the end that ultimately it's not about our faithfulness but it's about God's faithfulness. What does it say? It says God is faithful. His faithfulness to call us into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. As we sang last week, great is thy faithfulness, God. Great is thy faithfulness, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. So friends, as Paul front loads this letter with the evidences of grace, that the church must embrace and hold on to for the trying days ahead, he ends with the greatest hope that God is faithful. God is faithful. And as I look upon our church, friends, this has proven itself over and over. He's faithful to save. He's faithful to sanctify. He's faithful to sustain. And God is at work. I want to end on a note that God is faithful. That is our only hope. It's not about anything fancy that we try to do here. It's not about a man. It's it's not about an ability. It's about the grace of God in Christ Jesus at work in his church. And that is what we're, we're here to celebrate. We're here to celebrate that. And so those four things that we see evidence of God's grace amongst us is a deepening conviction for his word a confirming testimony of his gospel, a flourishing engagement of his gifts, and a sustaining hope in his faithfulness.